what you get for being the most spiritual people in the church, coming out first. Uh, is uh, my mic on, JJ? Yes? Okay, good. All right, good morning. It's nice to be with you. It's nice to be back up in, in Stoke and see family and, and, and friends and see some familiar faces. Um, and, and, you know, there's parts of Stoke that I, that I miss. Uh, I don't miss the potholes. My goodness me. Wow, there must, there must be a, you must have a record, there must be, Stoke has the most potholes per square metre, um, but it has been nice, and um, you know, we're, I'm going to be, uh, this is a new edition, by the way, this is just age, I'm afraid, yes, it's not for style, it's for, for age, and it's been a begrudging change in my life, but I'm working with it, um, but yeah, so uh, I'm going to be here this evening, obviously, and what I wanted to do today was to, to preach a little bit on something I've been going through with, with our church back in Spalding, um, is the Book of Jonah. And um, I love the Book of Jonah. I love it. And it's such an, shall we say, underrated book or overlooked book, because oftentimes it's used in maybe the Sunday school setting, and because there are great lessons in there. Um, but when you get into the book of Jonah, there's far more going on there. And actually, it fits very nicely into a four-part series. There's four chapters. You know, you do one chapter a, a week. We don't have four sessions today. So what we're going to do, we're going to do chapters two and chapters three. We're going to do chapter two this morning. We're going to do chapter three this evening. So if you can get back, uh, I would encourage you to, or if you can listen to it on the internet, go for it. Um, but... Jonah, it, it splits itself across these, these four chapters. And in chapter number one, we'll, we'll summarize this before we get into the, what we're going to talk about this morning. In, in chapter number one, what you're dealing with is, is, is the attitude of the rebellious missionary of God. And I'm sure you're familiar, you know, God tells Jonah to go. He tells him to go to Nineveh. And this is generally the start of the this, this Sunday school story. And John, Jonah rebels. And his rebellion gets him in a bit of a sticky wicket. And he's cast over, overboard on the ship that he's got onto to flee from the will of the Lord. And uh, it really deals with, with Jonah's attitude of rebellion. Because the whole book is an examination of attitude. And we're going to see this as, as we go on. It's an examination of attitude. And I, I want to say this before we start. That attitude is the most important thing in the life of a believer. It's the most important thing. Because it's the internal thing. It's not the external. It's the internal. That's attitude. And the Lord sees that. He sees that. And the statement I say, and, and, and I'm not trying to be heretical. I'm not trying to go down a road that I shouldn't. And, and don't mistake what I'm saying when I say this. But God is more interested in the heart of the worker than he is in the work that's taking place. And I tell you why. Because if the heart of the worker is right, the work's right. But if the heart of the worker is wrong, the work is wrong. Because it's not done in the right attitude. So with God, it's, it's not the act, it's the attitude. And that's what the entire book of Jonah is about. It's an examination of attitude. And Jonah's attitude in uh, chapter number one is simply one of rebellion. Chapter number two it's an attitude of repentance. Chapter number three, it's an attitude of responsiveness. And chapter number four, it's an attitude of resentment. 
And entire the way through Jonah, you have these characters in the scene. You have the, the whale or the great fish, whatever you want to say. You have the Ninevites, that great wicked city. You have the things that God prepares. But actually, they are just extras in the main scene and narrative of what's going on in Jonah. Is that God is looking at the heart of that worker and trying to show him, to show him that to trust God, to realize that God is sovereign over all, and that his ways are far higher than man's ways, takes an attitude that is given over to the God of creation. No matter how difficult it looks, no matter how bad it looks, no matter how hard it looks, no matter if it, you can see no sense in it, and that's what's going on in chapter number one of Jonah. Jonah's saying, reasoning with God in his own mind, he's, well, why would you save those people that want to destroy your people? What's the point in that? That can't be right. There can be no good come of this. So Jonah rebels. Now we get to chapter number two, and that's what we're going to focus on. We're going to focus on this attitude of repentance. So let's uh, read chapter number two. It's not too long, only 10 verses there. And uh, we'll seek the Lord in prayer, and then we'll get into what he has for us this morning. Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 1, and the word of the Lord says this, Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly, and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about all thy billows, and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed round about me. The waves were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came unto thee into thy holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning and we recognize our great need before you. Each and every one of us needs to hear from you. Whatever you have for us, Lord, whatever you would like to challenge us with, to comfort us with, to speak to us, Lord, about maybe things in our lives that we do need to repent over. Whatever it is, Lord, we ask that you would have free reign in our hearts, the Holy Spirit would check our attitudes to your work and to your will. Lord, I ask that you would use me. Lord, I confess my weakness before you and I ask for your strength. I ask for your spirit to rest upon me. Use me. Lord, I pray that we would leave here this morning closer to you Rejoicing in you and resting in you, knowing that you are the sovereign God 
and that all things are in your hands. And we ask these things in your soon returning, almighty, all-powerful, all-authoritative name. Amen. So as we talk about the topic of repentance, I don't know about you, and I can only speak for myself, but the word repentance rings a bell in my life because I've been in that place quite a few times in my life. Um, hopefully I'm not alone. Um, we're we're uh, all human. We all have a, a sin nature. We all do things sometimes that we shouldn't do. We all say things sometimes that we shouldn't say. And we definitely think things that we shouldn't think. So if we're in that place where we can say we have at a time in our life, being in that place where we've just maybe drifted from the Lord or we've had clear instruction from God and we've moved away from that and we haven't followed what God has told us to do, this blueprint for our life, this instruction book, this filter for life. And we've ended up maybe drifting from God and we've ended up in a, in, a, in, a, in a bit of a sticky wicket, or we've ended up somewhere where we didn't want to be, and, and we've, we've fallen far from God, and, and things are starting to just fall apart in our lives, and we get to that moment, that eureka moment, where we realize, I need to get back to God. You been there? Amen. We're in good company. This is where Jonah is. This is where Jonah is. I've rebelled myself. I've fallen back. And, and the Christian life, you know, if we're honest, this is what it should look like. Saved, and here's your progress as you move towards God, getting more sanctified as you uh, just surround yourself with the people of God, service in the local church, communion and fellowship with God on a daily basis. And you can only go up to God you know, the Jews do Eliyah, don't they? To go up to Jerusalem. Well, we're to go up to God. And that's how the Christian life should be. That's how it should be. But that's very rarely how it is. Now, it can be that. There's no reason why it can't be that. But the old nature, the sin, the flesh, the stuff that wants to pull us away from God, life, Work, families, commitments, illnesses, priorities, whatever it is. And this is what can happen. We get saved and then, oh, there's a bit of a plateau. We're not going forward or backwards. And then we repent, say, God, oh, I'm in a mess. And we start to, and, it, and, and, and that's the Christian life. It's a, it's a roller coaster. It can be ups and downs. It doesn't have to be doesn't have to be. And actually, Jonah chapter number two didn't have to be written into the life of Jonah. Jonah chapter number four, if you look at that in your own time, didn't have to be written into the life of Jonah. Jonah needed chapter two, I think. And sometimes we need that to show us that actually we're not as strong as we think we are. We're not as holy as we think we are that we haven't made it just because we can uh, recite the books of the Old Testament or we know a little bit, that actually it's a constant battle as we go uphill. Walking uphill, is it easy? It takes effort. It takes effort. Going downhill, is that easy? It's a lot easier. 
We have to go up to God. There lies the battle. And in this process of working out our salvation, which is, this is what it is, we go through these steps, and when we hit these steps, we have to come to that place of repentance. Because that's the only way to start going back up again. We have to come to God and seek his help and seek his guidance. The problem is that in our Christian life, we, when we hit those steps and we go down, we fling ourselves at the feet of God in prayer. Fling ourselves at the feet of God in prayer, which is what Jonah's done. We recognize God as sovereign and we just bow before him and say, God, you're the only one that can help me. You're the only one that can save me. You're the only one that can fix this. You're the only one that can allow me to start coming to you again. And we cry out to him. And then we get back on our little path. We wave at God and we say, thank you, God. I'm okay now. What a mess that is. That we only pray to God in this fervent way, in this fully trusting way, when we hit the dips in life. Not when we're on the ascent. It's like, well, I've got this, God. I'm doing okay. And God looks at us and goes, you're doing okay, are you? Here comes a trial. How are you doing now? And we get down, we fall down, we fall through the trap that's set before us. And then we pray to God and say, God, fix this. We've all been there. This is not up in the pulpit and the holy hill. I've mastered this. This is, this is our life in this world, in the battle that we face. So, when we get to Jonah, he's going to show us this attitude of repentance. And there are some things that we have to pull out of it. Um, and really what's going on in chapter number two is Jonah has, has been given some time out. It's an extreme form of time out, but this is some thinking time. When, when the kids were at school in, in Sanford Hill uh, five, six years ago, they, they had this little punishment for the kids that if they were naughty, they would send them out and put them on the thinking mat. And it would be a little isolated place away from the rest of the crowd. And they would be called up for their disobedience or their naughtiness. And they would have to go and spend some time in a thinking mat. To have a little think. This is Jonah's thinking fish. <laughs> have a little think, Jonah. And that's what the trials and troubles in our lives sometimes are. Not all of them. But if we recognize God's sovereignty, we recognize that everything is either sent by God or allowed by God, and the things that are sent by God are definitely to get our attention and give us some thinking time about our walk with God. So Jonah's been given some time out. He's been given some time away to think, and that's what we're going to examine together this morning. And, and the first thing we want to have a look at is we pick up in verse number one, and we join Jonah in his place of desperation. Here he is. This is the place of desperation, verse number one of Jonah 2. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. He is in a desperate place. There's no doubt about that. Chapter number one, he, the storm has come. 
He's in the boat with the sailors. They recognize that this is not a normal storm, that there's something supernatural going on here. And it ultimately ends with Jonah throwing himself off the boat. And he's, you know, he's going down in that sea, that Mediterranean Sea. And he ends up being swallowed by a fish. We think it's a whale. You get to the New Testament when Christ... Actually, let's turn there because it's important, I think. Uh, Matthew chapter 12. It's important because many people will scoff at the account of Jonah. Uh, Matthew chapter 12 and verse 38. Many people will scoff at the account of Jonah. Ah, it's not real. What a lot of nonsense. That's just a fairy tale. That's just a story. And even, even uh, believers... Um, will say that, no, that's a, it's an it's a, it's a allegory, it's a parable, it's a story, it's, it's not real. But in Matthew chapter number 12 and verse 38, uh, Christ is, is, is dealing with the Pharisees. And it says in verse 38 of Matthew 12, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no, no sign given to thee but the sign of the prophet Jonah or Jonas. For as Jonah or Jonas was three days and three nights in the belly's wheel, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus affirms the historical accuracy of the story of Jonah, the account of Jonah, as a literal story. So to come along and say that, that Jonah's not a real account is a, a, a complete attack upon the deity of Christ. If Jesus affirmed him as real, he was real. Full stop. So, you know, the place of desperation that he finds himself in, whether it be a whale, it's referenced as whale in, in, in Matthew, but the, the Greek word there just can mean great fish or sea monster. So, we don't know, but the, the educated guess is that it is a whale. It was definitely a large sea creature, no doubt. Um, an oxygen breather, no doubt. Whether it was a whale or some species that's extinct, who knows? But that's not the point. It doesn't matter if it was a big fish, a little fish, cardboard box. It doesn't matter. It's what's going on as God works in the heart of Jonah. And he's in a place of desperation. And actually, um, it's, it's ironic, really, as we, before we get into this prayer of Jonah, that what he's praying for, really, is the mercy of God. He's praying for the grace of God. And he wants something from God that he wasn't willing for others to have from God. He didn't want to go to Nineveh in case God spared them. And if God spared them and showed them mercy and grace, then they would destroy Israel. And, and Jonah didn't want that. But now he's in a place of desperation. He's in a place where he's facing the judgment of God. And what's the first thing he wants? He wants mercy. He wants grace. You're going to see this in his prayer. It's interesting when you find yourself on the other side of the tracks, how your attitude changes. They say, don't they, that unless you've walked a mile in somebody else's shoes, you don't know what, it, what it's like. And we can be very judgmental as Christians, as, as humans. It's, it's an easy thing to do. And we can often point the finger 
We can often look at people and say, they don't deserve grace. They don't deserve mercy. How wicked are they? But yet when we're in trouble, say, God, be merciful to me. Oh, God, pour out your grace to me. Give it to me, but not to them. So here's what God's doing. He's putting him in a place where he has to rely solely on the mercy of God to help him see that his attitude in chapter number one was all wrong. So it's interesting when we see things from other people's perspective, how it can change our attitudes. It can change our attitudes. William Booth, who I'm sure you, you know, General Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, he said this, um, paraphrasing, but he basically said that he wished that all those that were involved in his movement in the early days, who were very uh, uh, evangelical, soul winners, he said, I, I wish that everybody that was involved could for the briefest of moments be uh, suspended above the horrors of hell just to see what it was like so that when they went out with the gospel, their attitude towards those they were trying to reach would be completely changed. God has given Jonah a taste of the horrors of hell to help him see what it actually was that he was wishing upon the Ninevites. By not taking the word of God to them, He was trying to condemn them. They don't deserve your mercy, God. They don't deserve your grace, God. They are too wicked. They are too evil. They'll do uh, horrible things. They'll come for your people, God, and actually, you know, it's a mistake to reach out to those. You say, Jonah, that's a terrible attitude. We'd all say, That's a terrible attitude, Jonah. But, but, if I was to say to you, you know, he is the most wickedest person you can think of, either now or in history, or he, you know, the most wickedest person you can picture in your mind, who's done the most horrific things. If I was to wheel them in here, bring them from side stage up onto this stage and say, uh, here at Right Milton Baptist Church, there's a, a testimony here that we want to give you. This person, whoever it may be, you know, think of, think of um, the example I usually use is, do you remember Jihadi John? It was on the news and he was just beheading people. And, and you, you're like, that's horrific. That's, that's horrible. That man's disgusting. If anybody deserves a judgment of God, it's a, it's a wicked person like that. Now, if I was to bring him out here, and say, you know, I just met him on the street. And he asked me what I was doing. And I said, I was coming to preach. And he said, preach what? I'll preach the word of God. What God? Jehovah God. The God of grace and the God of mercy. The God that sent his only begotten son to hang on Calvary's cross so that sinners could be saved. And Jody John said, oh, that sounds amazing. You know, I've done some wicked things. And I said, oh, doesn't matter what you've done. God's willing to save you if you'll just repent and come to him. And if he did that, and then I brought him out five minutes later and presented him to you, what would your heart say? Would you be aghast? That vile and evil man 
who had turned to God? Or would you stand up and say, praise God, hallelujah. Our God's in the saving business. That's an attitude. That's an attitude. And if we're honest, we know how we would want to react. We know how we should react. But would we react in that way? If we had one minute of hell, then it wouldn't matter to us who got saved and what they did. We would rejoice and rejoice and rejoice that somebody had been spared the horror of separation from God. Jonah's been given a taste of this, and it's from this place that he is going to pray for his life. He is completely desperate. It's his place of desperation. And in his place of desperation, we're going to see his prayer of desperation. You know what Jonah is? Seems to me here, it's the perfect example of a foxhole prayer. You've heard the statement, there's no atheists in foxholes in the Second World War. You know, when, 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 when everything's coming down around you and everything's stripped away and it's just you and your life before you, every single person, I believe, will call out in the God that they know exists. That's a foxhole prayer. I'm in trouble, God. Save me. I'm in the bunker, God. Everything's coming around me. Save me, God. Pop your head up and say, Lord, save me. And God, in his mercy and his grace, does that. The battle seems like it's stopped, and off we go. Maybe that's you this morning. I know it's been many times where I think I've got things under control, and then it goes a little bit pear-shaped, and the foxhole prayer comes out again. God, fix me. Jonah was crying out to God because he was in the place of desperation. That leads us to his prayer of desperation. Let's read on, verses 2 to 7 there. Actually, let's just read verse 2 first of all, where it says, And I said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Now, if you've got a pen with you, uh, or if you're on digital, copy of your scriptures to highlight it if you've got a pen i want you to highlight this i want you to highlight this if you can because this blows me away this blows me away and highlight i cried And then highlight, he heard. I cried, and he heard. Because that's our God. That's our God. Because we've all talked about our frailties. We've all talked that we're in the same club where we've failed him miserably. But in the heart of repentance... We cry, and God hears. Does he have to hear us? 
Does he need to hear us? No. Does he want to hear that cry of repentance? Absolutely yes. Jonah's here because of his disobedience. His direct disobedience to the will and word of God. That's why Jonah was in the place of desperation. He cries out to God and God hears him. And I don't know about you, that fills my heart with thankfulness that we have a God of mercy and grace. He heard me. And notice and his actions alone. Verse number three, it says, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the sea. You get to Jonah chapter number one, and you find that it's the sailors cast Jonah into the sea. But Jonah, in the place of desperation, he recognizes that it was God that had him cast into the sea because of his rebellion. So he knows that this is about his disobedience. He knows that it's God that has cast him into the the sea. He knows he's in this place because of his actions. He says, you've cast me into the deep, verse 3. In the midst of the seas and the floods compassed me about, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds wrapped about my head. This is his account of how he is thrown out of the ship. Now he's praying in the belly of the whale. But this portion is the bit where he has been cast off the ship and he's sinking down in that sea, lower and lower and lower. And that's the pattern of Jonah from chapter 1 on. He's going down, 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 down. Remember what I said? Up to God. And he's accounting this desperate uh, predicament that he's in. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed round about me. The waves were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. He's sinking to the depths of the ocean floor. That little phrase there, by the way, uh, in, in, the, in the KJV, the bottoms of the mountain. You know that the humanity only discovered that the, the ocean floors um, were actually mountainous. If I was to ask you what the longest mountain range on earth is, what would you say? Oh, that's good. Oh, you're good. You're good. Yeah, yeah. You know, we, we tend, tend to think, you know, Himalayas, Rocky, whatever. But it's not. It's not. It's, it, it runs across the, the, the Atlantic. And it spans, let me get my figures right, 40,000 miles, but 90% of it's underwater. But up until 1858-ish, humanity didn't know that. And they only discovered it when they laid the great transatlantic cable to do the first telegraphing across between America and actually it came to the south of Ireland. And what they did was they had big boats and and the cable, they they came off big spools at the back of the boats and as they moved along, they, they were dropping it. 
and then they joined it to another cable and they went across. But what they found was that they weren't having to drop the same amount of distance. So they thought that the ocean base after you, you know, came out a little bit was just flat. And they discovered then, as they were laying the cable, that there was actually undulation. That was the 19th century. Jonah was written a long time before. And he says, I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. Word of God. The Word of God. Amazing. He says, I went down to the bottom of the mountains, verse 6, her bars about me forever. Yet hast thou brought my life up, up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. And actually, in that little portion, if you take the time to look at it, a lot of the references that Jonah's using come from the Psalms. And, you know, he uses Psalm 3, 5, 18, uh, Psalm 31, Psalm 42, portions of Psalm 69, Psalm 77, Psalm 116, Psalm 120. And what that tells me about Jonah is that he was a man of God. He was a man of God. He knew the Scriptures. In fact, his first uh, kind of uh, order of business as a prophet for God was to go into northern Israel. You can read about that in 2 Kings. And, and preach a, a message of expansion for the kingdom of Israel. But he was a man of God. And there's two things in this. Number one, I can take solace in that, that just because that you're a man of God doesn't mean you're not susceptible to falling for the flesh. So we're in good company. But also, it tells me that he had the word of God on his heart. He looked at the scriptures. He memorized the scriptures. And in his place of desperation, it's the scriptures that he turns to to appeal to the mercy of God. And that's a wonderful example for us to have the word of God upon our hearts, that in our time of desperation, in our place of desperation, that we are coming to God and holding him account to his word, who he is, saying, God, I know you're merciful because you've showed us. This man of God prays, and then we get to verse 7. It says, My soul fainted within me. I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto me. I got to the very end of myself. I remembered the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah, the great I am, the sovereign God, the great and ever-present I am. And it's that I am, the one who is willing to hear, listens to the heart of Jonah, and his repentant prayer and is willing to save him. So Jonah, he's in the place of desperation, firstly. Secondly, he gives up this prayer of desperation. He's got nowhere else to go and he knows he needs God. And then there's this little final piece on, verses 8 to 10, where we have Jonah's promise of desperation Verse 8 says, They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay 
that that I have vowed, salvation is of the Lord. So Jonah gets to the place, he realizes, he says this simply in verse 8, he says that, you know, idols, anything above God, it's a waste of time. And I think this is born out of his own, his own kind of attitude where he's put the people of God above the God of the people. He says, you're missing out when you do that. You're missing out what God has for you. You're missing out in the mercies of God. You're missing out in the instructions of God. You're missing out in the will of God and, and everything in there. And it's folly. It's vanity. And then he says this in verse 9, But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. So here we go. Jonah gets himself in a mess. He's in the place of desperation. And from the place of desperation, he puts up the prayer of desperation. And we're all been in that journey. And then from this, we have this promise of desperation. I will do everything that I said I will do, God. Now, does that ring a bell? Have you been in that place where God has been gracious and you've come before him and you've thrown your life before him? You've just realized that you've got nothing and you've come before God and you said, God, if you will just intervene in this situation. God, if you will just move in this situation. God, if you will show me mercy and grace, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to get myself right. I am going to be in my Bible. I am going to be at every church meeting. I am going to be on fire for you like never, nobody's ever been on fire for you before. This is it, God. This is the turning point, God. This is it. If you just save me this one time, Lord, you're going to get another Apostle Paul. Vows unto God. Vows unto God. Because we've been in the place of desperation. And then we've prayed out of desperation. And then we've made promises out of desperation. And maybe we've kept them for a day, a week, maybe even months. And then we're back just where we left off. And what's happened to the rash vows that we've made? They're things we couldn't keep. I've been there. I've done it. But for the believer, it has to be different. Our yes should be yes, and our no should be no. If we're going to make a promise to God, we should keep it. We should keep it. Here's Jonah's prayer. Here's Jonah's promise. I will pay that I have vowed. I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Whatever it is you want me to do, I'm going to do it. Because salvation is of the Lord. And that's the place where he needed to be. He needed to get to the place where he realized that salvation of the Lord was of the Lord but also that everything else was of the Lord, that the Lord was in control. But the way that he went about this, how he got himself to this place, how he ended up in a place where he is in a desperate situation, where he does make that prayer of desperation, he does make that promise of desperation. 
That shouldn't have had to have happened for him to realize that God is sovereign. But he's gone through this process. And sometimes we confess that we end up in that place and we have to go through this process of repentance. Now, that's Jonah's story. But as we close, we want to think about how can we apply what we've heard from Jonah? What is it that Jonah can show us? Not the fact that how he's got there, but the path of repentance. And there's two things I think really stand out for me as I look at this. And and here's the first thing. I think Jonah shows us that we have to be honest with God. We have to be honest with God. When we come to him in repentance, we have to be honest. Jonah owned his sin. He knew why he was in the place that he was in. It was because of his rebellion. He says, for you've cast me into the sea, God. So repentance, first and foremost, requires an honesty before God to say, I am in the mess I'm in because of the decisions I've made and the path I've took. It's not your fault, God. It's not the church's fault. It's not family. It's not friends. It's not people that have distracted me or whatever. It's my fault. I have to be honest with God. And then secondly, we have to be humble before God. And that's what Jonah shows us. He says, salvation is of the Lord. There's nothing I can do to fix this, is what Jonah says. My life is in your hands, God. I've got nothing that I can do in this equation. It's of you. And that takes humility. A humble spirit to know that we are nothing before a holy God. It's all of him. Jonah shows us to be honest with God, to be humble for God. So, let me ask you, maybe, maybe you're in the midst of some trial. Maybe you're in the place of desperation. Or maybe you can relate to the time where you were. But particularly if that's you now. And God is calling you to have an attitude of repentance. And maybe the time's come this morning, even in your own hearts, to be honest with God and to be humble before him. Turn finally with me to Psalm 51. Because I think this is a... (laughs) For me, unfortunately, it's one of my favorite psalms. And I say that because I've been here so often. But Psalm 51 is written, I have no doubt, with tears by King David. He's sinned with Bathsheba. He's been backslidden for maybe a year, year and a half, maybe even two years. God sends Nathan the prophet and just breaks David's heart about his sin. And notice these two thoughts in King David, a man after God's own heart. Verse 1, he says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Honest with God. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquities. Honest with God. 
Cleanse me from my sin. Honest with God. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Honest with God. Verse 4. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Honesty with God. This is a man after God's own heart. Honesty with God. And then next, humility before God. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. I'm a sinner. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and the hidden parts, they shall make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Notice, he's relying on God to do this. I'm not going to wash myself. I can't cleanse myself, God. I need you. This is humility. There's no self-righteousness. There's no self-effort uh, in there. First, he had make me to hear joy and gladness. God, do this. But the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins. Blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. He is appealing to God in humility. Verse 11, cast me not away from thy presence. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. This is Jonah. Honest with God. Jonah chapter 3, chapter 2, sorry. Jonah says, I've got myself in this mess. King David says, I've got myself in this mess. Jonah then is humble before God. Salvation is of the Lord. King David the same. That's the mark of the repentant heart and the attitude of a heart that's repentant. So if there is something in our lives, let's learn these lessons. Come before God. Be honest be humble, cry out to him, and he'll hear us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time in your word. We thank you for the truth uh, that you've shown us. And we thank you, Lord, for all that you do. We thank you, Lord, that you hear the heart of the repentant sinner. And we thank you that the gates of mercy are open ever still. So we pray that you would just lead us, guide us, show us what you would have for us. In Jesus' name, amen.